0: Welcome to worship on this, the fourth Sunday of Lent. It does have a special name, which I've forgotten since i walked down the stairs. It's the equivalent to Gaudete Sunday in Advent. The fourth Sunday of Lent is a bit of an upbeat Sunday. For people who are fasting, which I'm sure you all are, you can have a day off from your fasting. And it's a day when we can rejoice as we remember God's promises. It's also the day on which many churches focus on mothers, the mothering Sunday when, well originally people went to their mother church and then it turned into Mother's Day and that is reflected in the prayer we have for this morning. God, our mother, you hold our life within you, nourish us at your breast and teach us to walk alone. Help us so to receive your tenderness and respond to your challenge, that others may draw life from us. In your name we pray.
1: Amen. Today's first reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, page 177. Israel, remember this, the Lord and the Lord alone is our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Never forget these commands that I am giving you today. Teach them to your children. Repeat them when you are at home and when you are away, when you are resting and when you are working. Tie them on your arms and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. The second reading is um, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. Who is the greatest? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a child, made him stand in front of them, and said, I assure you that unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself and becomes like this child. And whoever welcomes in my name one such child as this, welcomes me. If anyone should cause one of these little ones to lose his faith in me, it would be better for that person to have a large millstone tied round his neck and be drowned in the deep sea. How terrible for the world that there are things that make people lose their faith. Such things will always happen, but how terrible for the one who causes them. Thanks be to God.
0: If you go around in England anyway, it may be true in Scotland, though I've not noticed it yet, and you see Victorian primary schools, very often on the wall outside, especially if it's a Church of England primary school, you will either see it says Proverbs six, just that, or it says train up a child in the way they should go and when they are older they will not depart from it. He probably says he because that was the language of those days but the intent includes She's as well. The nurture and the education of children, the development of young hearts and minds, as well as young bodies, is something that the ancient people of God seem to have understood as being really, really important. What that looked like on a day to day basis, we don't know. We know they didn't have schools in the way that we have schools today. We know most people couldn't read or write, but there does seem to have been some kind of divine mandate to people to train up their children, to educate them, and to nurture them in the way that would help them to live useful and fulfilled lives. The beginnings of their moral and spiritual development were something that started when they were very young and in the home and i guess as we hear those words from proverbs as people have heard them down through the centuries we see that they are important what it might have meant in the 15th century or the 10th century i don't know but we all have had our experiences of growing up we are you know we were all children once some of us more recently than others and I wonder, those of you who went to church or Sunday school as children, what your memories are like. It will be different for different ones of you. And what will our children remember in years to come when their time in our Sunday school, their time of playing fairies upon the mezzanine, their time's of playing space games up on the Mezzanine, when that's all long past, how will they think about how church was? And will they ever make the transition into the adult part of the church, as all of us have done? Or will they just drift away? And how are we, all of us, as the adults of this generation, interpreting that mandate to train up to nurture children spiritually and morally. What we're going to do today is take a very rapid tour of the Bible. It's one of my let's just go for loads and loads of bits and pieces kind of mornings. You've all got a sheet of paper which on one side has got a kind of outline of what I'm going to talk about. So I hope it's probably not on the front row. There's, I think there's one there, Elaine. Just pinch one. You don't need to follow it, but it's just something you can take away and and mull over at home um, just to think about this a little bit more. The first thing I want to say is you can't get very far into the Bible without finding a mention of children. Right from Genesis, where the first humans are told to populate the earth, as we thought about last week, it seems that there are endless references to children and the begetting of children. Lots and lots of stories about babies. A fair few about children. And several about youths. So I wonder if you think who your great heroes were when you were children. And, you, and if your Sunday school was anything like mine. You've got lots of stories about boys mostly in the Bible. But heroes in the Bible. Moses, Samuel and David. We meet all of them when they are children or youths, or what about Naaman's wife's maid, the little girl, or the boy who offered his picnic to Jesus, or the one that used to amuse me when I was a teenager, the story of Eutychus who fell asleep listening to Paul go on and on and on and on. I think, as a teenager, listening to very dull sermons, I had a lot of empathy with Eutychus. So thankfully, I never fell out of a window. And then there are the hearing miracles of Jesus, which include quite a few of children. A synagogue leader's 12-year-old daughter. The daughter of a foreign woman who dared to challenge Jesus when he said he'd only come for his own people. And then the, the child or servant of the Roman centurion. And even the first letter to Timothy, one of my favourite little bits of scripture, from when I was a teenager, don't let anyone make fun of you just because you're young. Set an example for the others in what you say and do by your love, your faith and your purity. It seems to me that there can be no doubt whatsoever that children are as important in God's eyes as adults. As important, not less important, and not more important. Equally important. Whether that equality is evident in churches in general, and our church in particular is something that people perhaps want to think about. Some places, and some of us may remember it, times when you were expected as a child to sit through very long, very boring books. In language you can't understand. Sometimes, I can remember when I was in the Brownies, we used to have brownie parades, and we used to go to the parish church and get given three hymn books. And at the age of seven and not very much able to read, I didn't even know which one to open, never mind where to go with it. What kind of message does that send to our children? And it's something I try to think about with some of the songs and things that we use here. Or there are, and this is a terrible indictment on the churches, churches who still send out their Sunday school to dingy rooms to draw pictures on the back of green line computer paper. Do you remember green line computer paper? It's an awfully long time since it went out. But I know a church that still has a big stack of it, and that's what the Sunday school still use. To draw on. At the same time, if every Sunday and everything we do is aimed at the youngest child and is noisy and chaotic, nobody, from the oldest down to the youngest, is able to experience the awe and mystery of worship. So there's a kind of a challenge here to find the right balance. And there aren't quick answers. And there isn't a one-size-fits-all because every church is unique. At home and at school, one of the things children have to learn is that they're not the centre of the universe. They're important and they're valued for who they are, but the world doesn't revolve around them. I can actually hear my mum saying that to me, even as I say it. The world doesn't revolve around you, you know. And it's true also in churches... The church doesn't revolve around the children and neither does it revolve around the adults. It's actually a place for all of us. Parents have to learn that children are messy and unpredictable. Most people here have been parents, not everybody, but a lot of people here have been parents. And an awful lot of people who aren't parents have worked with children or do work with children. And we all know that you plan something. And then they mess it up. That's a reality that we have to accept in church. But also, our children learn from us that sometimes you have to stop playing and eat your dinner or stop wriggling and be quiet. So very important. Children are a very important part of the story of God's people. Every bit as important as the adult's. Secondly, children need to be nurtured. The reading we heard from Deuteronomy is very often used in services of infant blessing. And what I love about that reading is it's very spiritual, but it's also very homely, very down to earth. It seems to me to recognize that children aren't just going to soak up an understanding of the heritage of their faith. To some extent, they will, because they, they, children are amazing at soaking up atmosphere. But actually, they need a bit more than that. Of course, the little ones have an amazing spirituality. The, the posters and the work they produce show us that. They understand lots intuitively about the nature of God. But still, they do need to learn what it means to live as people who believe in God And follow Jesus. And so the ancient Israelites were told that this is something they should do very naturally. When you're at home, talk about your faith. When you're on a journey, talk about the commands of God. In the morning, at night, over the dinner table, talk about your faith, about God, about the things you believe, in the way you would talk about anything else in your life. Not in a heavy way, not in a teaching way, but just the same as you would enjoy a picnic and talk about what you can see, or just the same as you would talk about your day out at the seaside, talk about your faith. Nurture of children, then, begins in the home, modelled by the parents, lived out in daily life but it carries on in the community of faith. If you were to think of those few glimpses we get of Jesus' childhood, and they are fleeting and few, and all in Luke's Gospel, we seem to see a family very firmly committed to that model of faith, a family that maintains all the rituals and celebrations of Judaism. The eight-day-old baby was taken to be circumcised. And then, when he was about a month old, they returned to the temple to do the sacrifice to redeem him as a firstborn. Each year, they went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, a long journey on foot from the north in Nazareth down to the south to Jerusalem. And, of course, it was on one of those visits that Jesus, now 12 years old, Seems to have done the stroppy teenager thing. Testing his wings just a little bit. And he stays at the temple as Mary and Joseph set off home. And he's listening to the teachers. And he's asking them questions. And of course, poor old Mary and Joseph are ripping their hair out. Where's Jesus? You know, we've got this special child that God's given us. And he's lost. Is it all ruined before it begins. And they're cross with him. And I'm sure every parent who reads that story must find resonances of their own experience there. And so they see Jesus is in the temple asking questions and listening to the teachers. Sometimes people read this and think it's Jesus testing the teachers. He's seeing if they understand it right, but that's not what it says. It actually says the people asked him questions as well and were amazed by his answers. He's a 12-year-old boy. He may be fully divine, but he's fully human, which means he has to learn in the way that our children have to learn. But it seems to me that what we also glimpse in that story is that Mary and Joseph know that there are other people who need to help in Jesus' spiritual nurture. In their case, the rabbis. So how do we nurture our children? Well, quick answer, we've got a creche, we've got a Sunday school, we've got a Bible class, and a great team of people who work with them. And all of that is absolutely true. But let's be honest. There are probably one or two people here who, if they really search their hearts, very quietly breathe a sigh of relief when that door closes and it's quiet and it's just the grown-ups left behind here. And just maybe, occasionally, somebody finds themselves thinking, "Well, well, now we can really begin our worship. One of the things over the years that has haunted me and challenged my thinking is that very often in churches, children and young people are sent out to the least attractive and worst equipped parts of a church building to do their stuff, whilst the adults would say, in most churches, in a lovely sanctuary with lovely wooden pews or lovely chairs and all the latest whatever, it's all there in the church but Send the children out, out the way. Very often, the adults get the one person in the church who's been theologically trained, and the children go off to pe- with people who are wonderful. Don't get me wrong; I'm not denying the the worth of people, but some people who've never had any training, never had the opportunity to have any training. We're very blessed. We have a great team of people who have great gifts and skills, and who have done some training. But some churches, it's just whosoever will look after the kids so we can have a nice time in here. One of the things that always challenges me, and has specifically challenged me since I became a minister, is the fact that the minister's always in here with the grown-ups, and the children go out wherever they go out. And one of the things I said nearly a year ago when I came to meet you to see if we were right for each other was I wanted sometimes to work out there, not in here. And I stand by that, though it hasn't happened yet. And Sunday school rightly are getting just a bit twitchy and thinking, is she ever going to actually do this? Was it all talk? But it seems to me really important, and it seems to me modelled in Scripture that our children have some of the minister's time. Jesus went and sat with the rabbis to learn. Why does our minister not sometimes go and sit with our children to share? Children are very important in the story, and children need to be nurtured. Children grow up. We saw that in Jesus. He grew up, he became a man, and he had to make the transition into adulthood with all that meant but it's one of the challenges for us and for all churches is how do we make that transition possible Sunday school and bible class are lovely places to be you get to paint and colour and draw and if you're older you get to discuss and then suddenly when you get to about 16 17, 18 you get into church and you listen to me talk for 20 minutes, which is a bit of a shock to the system. How do we help our children and young people make that transition? And how do we make adult worship something that is meaningful for us, but accessible to people who've grown up and learned in a very different culture? When I was at school, you sat in rows and you shut up and you did it out of the book and you copied it down from the blackboard. It's not how it works nowadays. It's very different. And we sometimes are playing catch-up in churches because we're still the person at the front talking, which isn't how a whole generation grows up. Big challenges. Don't have the answers to offer you, but things for us all to think about. But what about us as adult children of God? Because we are God's children, just as much as our children and young people Grown-ups who are children of God. And this really links into that little passage we heard from Matthew's gospel, or part of it. There is an enormous difference between being childish and and being childlike. And I think sometimes, inadvertently, we mix up the two of those. Somebody behaves in a childlike manner, and perhaps we think it's childish, or we're a little bit embarrassed about doing action songs because they're for the children, really, aren't they? Well, maybe. The Apostle Paul, in his very famous hymn to love, says, when I was a child, my speech, feelings, and thinking were those of a child. Now that I'm an adult, I have no more use for childish ways. And of course he's right, we need to leave behind childishness, that's part of maturing. But I think there's a danger that we can become a little bit too mature, a little bit too sensible, a little bit too staid, dare I say it, a little bit too boring, because we lose some of what is amazing and wonderful about childhood. Childhood about the things that make children so incredibly special. Sometimes we need to rediscover our inner child. Not just the one who, as the hymn we will might be singing, I'm not sure. No, we're not today. There's a hymn that says, take the little child and be scared of growing old. And we all know that that child exists within us. But hopefully there's more than a scared child living inside of us. Hopefully the child in us is one who loves learning new things, who enjoys finding out things, who can be excited and inspired by things. Children ask brilliant questions, don't they? I got asked yesterday, where Millie the Mole goes to sleep? She normally lives in the church, in my drawer, but don't tell the children. But, you know, they ask these amazing questions. And they're good. But do we ask questions or have we kind of grown out of that? Children make mistakes. And that's fine. You know, that's what happens. And we expect children to make mistakes. But do we allow it ourselves to make mistakes? Or do we beat up ourselves or each other because something goes wrong? You don't have an intimation sheet today. That's because I made a mistake. It happens. We have to allow ourselves to make mistakes and learn through them. Children believe and trust in a God who is invisible and who is holy, but who delights in them. And sometimes we do well to remember that. One day, Jesus' followers were being incredibly grown-up and self-important, so they're saying, well, you know, who's going to be more important? Is it going to be Andrew? Is it going to be John? Is it going to be Peter? going to be Judas. Who's going to be the most important? And Jesus just looked around and found a child and stood the child in the middle of them and said, that's what you need to be like. If you want to be in my kingdom, be like a child. And we know that and we love that bit. And then he goes on to say some stuff which is really quite terrifying about the perils of hindering or harming children in their faith development. It talks about somebody having a millstone put around their neck and being drowned in the sea. Now if you were a first century Jew the worst possible death you could imagine would be to drown. They were terrified of the sea. Sea was associated with chaos and and all things bad. So fishermen were pretty brave kind of guys but they were still scared of drowning. So this is what their kind of threat is, you know, if you cause these little children, these little ones, to stumble, to lose their way, well, better that you be chucked in the sea to drown. Very, very scary stuff. Let's not frighten each other with threats of millstones and being chucked in the sea. But let's recognize that there's something very serious and important about caring for and nurturing God's children Those who are physically young and those who are the childlike adult children of God. If we are a church of all ages, if we are, as we have sung about, a church where everybody matters whether they're nine or 90 or a baby, if everybody is going to grow in their faith and their understanding, then we've all got to work together to make that happen. For us who are adults, that means taking some responsibility for our own well-being, putting into practice what we've learned. But it also means we have to recognise and take account of new things that come along so that we can connect with people who've learned different ways from us. It's ironic we don't have intimation sheets today because you might have noticed a subtle change over the last couple of months. It used to say children's talk. Then Paul changed it to children's time. And then I sneakily changed it to altogether without telling anybody. And nobody's complained. But it's actually reflecting what we do. It's not a talk for the children, and it's not a time for the children. It's a time when we're all together. There are lots of different things we can do to recognize the different ways that people grow. Some people like visual things. Some people like things to read. Some people like things to do. And we're getting a lot more of that in that early part of the, st- the services. Sometimes it's good to be still and good to be quiet. And I wonder if you can remember how well our children kept the two-minute silence last November. You could have heard a pin drop, and every child from naught upwards was in this room at that time. They can do it, and we can do it with them. We're all God's children, and we should all still be growing and learning. Of course we might have had more experience than the children have. But they spot things that we are too tired or too jaded or too grown up to see. Of course, we can probably use more complicated language and express our ideas in more sophisticated ways. But can't the children just amaze us with their insights? I'm still struck by that thank you, God, for toes on that poster at the back. Children can be cute, they can be funny. And that's great. But we can also give things to them. We can model for them, respect for each other and for them. Tolerance of difference and valuing of difference. Teenagers can be cheeky and cocky and sometimes rude. But we can treat them with dignity and stand by them on the days when their fragile dreams lie in tatters. Just as I was saying that, I was thinking of somebody who told me off once when I was a teenager in church, and I was really miffed about it at the time. And then I got my A-level results. I know you don't do A-levels up here, but hey. And they weren't what I hoped for. And that same person supported me in that time. There is something about, you know, we, we help our teenagers to deal with their not-so-nice parts, and we support them as well. We are all in it together. Train up a child, says the writer of Proverbs. And when they're old, they won't depart from what they've learned. As I look around this morning, I just wonder, who are the people who shaped us to be the folk we are today? Who are the Sunday school teachers, the school teachers, the guiders, the BB leaders, whoever it is, who made us who we are? And helped us to discover our place in this community, the community of God's people. And how is it that we, through our example and our love, can shape the next generation? Our prayers today are taken from Patterns and Prayers for Christian Worship, which is one of the Baptist resources. And it picks up the prayers for the fourth Sunday in Advent. Firstly, a prayer from St. Anselm. And you, Jesus, sweet Lord, are you not also a mother? Truly, you are a mother, the mother of all mothers who tasted death in your desire to give life to your children. And prayers of intercession. God, father and mother of us all, we pray for families in their joy, where parents are loving and children are lively, where home is comfortable and jobs are secure. We pray that our joy may be hallowed by thanksgiving and our happiness increased by sharing it. Amid the blessings you send, keep us mindful of you, the one who sends them. (coughs) Son of God, Saviour of all, joy and sword for Mary's heart. We pray for families in their sorrow. Where grief has come for a loved one, or where love is no more. Where jobs or home are lost, or health has failed. Where neighbours or relatives make trouble and children are wayward. Where one or another is left coping with more than they bargained for, and nobody laughs or sings. Lord Jesus, In our desert and our Gethsemane, give us your grace of strength and peace. Holy Spirit of unity, wisdom and love, we pray for our families in their growing. Reconcile us with the fact of change in one another and in ourselves. Teach us that love need not be unaltering in order to be constant. Show us the loveliness of the baby face grown pimply with puberty. The beauty of strong hands grown waxen veined in age. Strengthen our relationships by contradiction and temper as well as by acquiescence and peace. Create a spirit. Help us to grow towards mature humanity measured by nothing less the full stature of Christ Father, Son and Holy Spirit providence, grace and love fit our families for the life of the heavenly household and for the service of humanity O Lord our God make way in our hearts and be glorified in the manner of our life together in Christ's name we pray Amen.